Welcome to the Big Mike Fund Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike, Mike Zlatnik. Today it is my uh, pleasure and privilege to welcome my good friend, Jeff Watson. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it's great to see you. Great to hear your voice. Likewise. Um, you know, you, you are my second uh, most favorite uh, Watson in the world. First was Dr. Watson. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Forgive me. I was a big fan. Love that. So Jeff Watson is my second most favorite Dr. Watson in the world. Well, I think that um, that character created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is a very good character. And I, I'm not offended in the least that he's more, he's more favorite to you than I am. <laughs> but, but you're still my good friend. He lived uh, you know, a <laughs> long yep. time ago. So at this point, uh, yeah. I hope you don't feel offended. Not so, at all. Not at all, man. It's, it's fun to, it's fun to talk about that stuff because I was like you, I really enjoyed everything. I devoured everything that Arthur Conan Doyle wrote in the Sherlock Holmes genre. Yeah. Devoured it all. Yep. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, now let's jump uh, just a couple of words about you, your family, um, where you live and uh, what do you do? Just, just share with the audience a little bit. I, I've known you for many years. You are a brother <laughs> from the Collective Genius Mastermind. I've known you as the attorney representing many, many real estate uh, investors in, in Washington, helping with the, uh, the right lobby, with the right support for the causes of real estate investors. Yep. So tell us a little bit about you. Well, um, graduated from law school over 30 years ago. Been practicing in Ohio ever since then. Um, for the first 30 years of my law practice, I, can, I did a lot of plaintiff personal injury, particularly workplace injury litigation. And while I was doing that as my full-time day job, I was building on a part-time basis my real estate investing business and portfolio. So I've always been a full-time practicing attorney and a part-time real estate investor. And I realized that I have a very, very unique background because of my law degree, because of how I practice law, what I did, and then into insight into the real estate space um, that, you know, God blessed me. And I was in the right place at the right time, knowing the right thing a few on a few occasions that really made things go for me. But what I've discovered is, Mike, there is a lot of people out there that are um, and I'm, you know, I'm just going to get into it for a little bit here. We'll talk more in a second. There's a lot of people out there talking about asset protection that have never stood in a courtroom, let alone picked a jury, let alone presented a case, and then defended that verdict on appeal, not once, but twice, all the way up to the state Supreme Court. And there's a lot of people out there talking about that. And then I look at my record and I go, man, I've changed the law in the state of Ohio four times on behalf of injured people you know, where I've expanded the rules, where I've made it easier. And I'm like, some of these people talk about asset protection, they get lost in often the nuances and they don't understand what it's like to litigate for a living. They don't understand how the process works. You know, and one of my most annoying things I ever get asked is, so Jeff, I get, I, I get sued and I get a judgment against me. And I look at him and I go, stop, what happened to the four years in between those two sentences? And Mike, I get this blank look back. What do you mean? I go, from when you get sued 
to when there's a judgment that might be against you that's affirmed on appeal is a minimum of four years. What happened in those four years? There's so much that can be done in the arena of asset protection in those four years, and you're just giving it up. And so, you know, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about with you today. And there's some other things I want to talk about where I'm different than all the other people out there that practice asset protection because A, I do it for myself, B, I do it for clients, and C, most importantly, I know how the plaintiff bar thinks because I am one of them, you know? So that's, that's a great intro, and uh, you're the asset protection attorney. I was going to ask, uh, you got any kids and cats and pets, but leave that alone. Hey, I've got five wonderful kids. They're all adults. I'm proud of every last one of them. Um, and just, you know, and it's, I'm, my goal is to leave them a better legacy than what I was handed, you know, so that's, that's the goal. No. We, cut, we, we touched on the family. Now let's go back to the asset protection. So let's start with the basics. Uh, yeah, that's a great example. You get sued. Uh, you know, God forbid you, you, know, you got into a car accident and you hit somebody and they're suing you. And now you know you got time to, well, the clock has started and, and it, it, it is a lengthy process. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm, glad you, I'm glad you talked about that particular instance because candidly for 90% of the audience that's going to hear this, that is your biggest risk risk exposure is how you operate your automobile yeah i mean that that's unfortunately it's, it's the real world and yeah, god forbid something world. happens and and a, somebody cuts you and you hit the brakes and you slam into another car and that car had four kids in that car and you didn't do anything wrong but uh they, they'll find a wonderful attorney like Jeff Watson and says it's an injury and you're representing the plaintiff and you're going to come up with the $50 million, you know, well, you gotta, you gotta request. have damages to support that. And you see, this is one of the things that I am um, having practiced this area for a long time where, and you got to understand Mike contingent fee attorneys. And this is what I did for 30 years. We don't get paid until we get money for clients. So we really quickly sort through the cases that come ring the phone or whatever. And it really comes down to, I look at four elements, you know, duty, breach, causation, damages, and collectability. I'll say it again, slower duty. You got to operate your car in a safe, lawful manner. Breach. You ran the red light and you hit somebody causation. You hit somebody and it caused them to fracture their leg damages. You got a broken leg. You've got time off work. You've got the medical bills. You've got the surgery for the pins and screws to stabilize the fractured femur, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got to worry about collectability. Well, folks, the great news is car insurance is going to be the answer in that situation. If you've got enough car insurance, fantastic. You're good, you know, but there's other things that sometimes you can't insure against. And those are things that you've got to think about. And that's part of going to one of the things that I talk about, what's a, one of the key principles of asset protection, and that is get clear. Not get clear of things, but get clear about your things. Know what does your that numbers. Mean? Know your numbers. Know what you own. Know what your liabilities are and know your risks. Now, for me, I know that the number one risk in my life is every time I get behind a steering wheel. And it so what do I do about it? Quite simple, cut right to the chase. 
a $1 million umbrella liability insurance policy on top of the half a million dollars of baseline auto liability coverage. So if I hit somebody, I got a minimum of a million bucks to settle the case. Let me stop you for a second. So why only a million? Why not five? The, the, the premium for the, for the umbrella from one to two is small and even from two right. to five is not. So why not get yourself a $5 million umbrella well, if it's incrementally I- manageable? Fantastic question. And then the analysis on that is I bumped it down from two to one when I lost my umbrella coverage and had to go reinstate it. Now you might say, well, how'd you lose your umbrella coverage? Too many speeding tickets. So you, 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 you're a, a cowboy that drives cars, not, <laughs> not, not, not horses. Not So, you know, Mike, you know, you and I know each other for a long time and we just tell it like it is. Okay. And so I lost my life. I lost my umbrella liability coverage for about four months because I had too many speeding tickets. So I got it back and then I had to do an assessment as to, okay, what are my risks? What are my assets? And yeah, it's time to bump it up. It's time to go from a million up to two to five. Yes. I agree with you completely there. If you can get it, obviously. But if yeah, you, if you're I not like Jeff that. driving like a maniac, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, Now, the good news is this, the good news is this, because of certain other changes in my life, um, it's been a while since I've had to have a conversation with a um, law enforcement officer regarding the operation of a motor vehicle. That's great news. So you are, <laughs> you, you're learning that the speeding tickets is a, something that if you can avoid, try to avoid. Yeah, But, I mean, um, I can't. I, literally, I came within one point. Ohio's a 12-point system. Everybody's got a different system in their states. I came within one point of my license being suspended. Yeah, I had a different problem in here in New York. We have too many, some, some parts have too many lights. And sometimes you go through intersection, we have a famous Grand Army Plaza. There's so many lights that you don't know which one you're, you're going to be following. And I've gotten some of those tickets running those red lights because you can't tell which one you're supposed to look at. Right. <laughs> But it's a little, it's a little yeah. different. Um, yeah. But anyway, let's take a step back. Um, uh, so other than getting greater umbrella uh, coverage, what asset protection, let's say you know your numbers, you have number of assets, your number of liabilities. What do you do? Do you start moving assets into LLCs, trusts? Is that, is that, you know, part of the strategy. It, it, uh, it can and should be part of the strategy. Now, this is where, this is where I'm going to get really controversial. Okay. Um, you have, if you have institutional financing, bank debt on some of your assets, you know, you've leveraged up, you've bought some rental properties, whatever, and you've got commercial bank loans on them. You've got FHA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. I don't care what you got on them you have to be very careful on making a decision to move those assets out of your name and into an LLC. In fact, I would tell you, don't even put that on public record. I would teach people that instead what you do is you transfer title, do a new deed, taking the asset out of your name and putting it into a trust that you created as the grantor that you are the beneficiary of and that, that will pass that the, the, the master the oh i see so if you create a trust you can document that and show to fanny freddy that you're still the owner it's a family planning trust and then somewhere behind the scenes you move the beneficial interest on llc and you have it on the record 
and you no longer effectively own the property individually, but the Fannie and Freddie doesn't know. But the LLC, depending upon the type of LLC that you pick and how you set it up, it, like the trust, is transparent in the eyes of the IRS, but it is a valid liability shield under the laws of your state. So, you so let, did, let's just clarify this. Yeah. Is the trust creates anonymity or it actually creates asset protection because trust is generally disregarded entity for the sake of- um... Trusts create anonymity. Okay, so they it's anonymity do... creation, but not yeah. asset protection. The LLC is the asset protection. Right, so the a trust is a smoke screen. A bullet can still pass through the smoke screen. You may not know what you're shooting at, but you can still hit it. The LLC properly formed, properly set up, properly managed, properly operated, gives you the liability shield. That gives you the steel wall to stop the bullets. That gives you your Kevlar vest to stop the bullet. Yes. So uh, this is a pretty classic case. You number of people acquire properties uh, into personal names. Some if they are if they're obtaining government financing, especially if they're buying a bunch of turnkeys or uh, you know uh, something similar, and then the after the financing is, is in place, uh, I don't know how long they have to season it, three months, six months. At some point, they can tra transfer into um, one or more trusts. Do you create one trust per property or do you do you know multiple one properties? One trust per property. One trust per property. And the, the trust has some really crazy name that nobody can ever dissect what it means. Yeah, well, I always I always name my trust as a combination of who did I buy the property from and the street address, you know? One, one two, three Main Street, you know, and something yeah. else. You know, the, the Zolotnik, you know, 1104 Sugar Holding Avenue, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know? So I've got, I've got who I bought it from, so I can remember that. I've got the address of the property, so I can remember that. So that way, when I look at it, I go, oh, yeah, I know which house that goes to, you gotcha. know? <laughs> yeah. Now there's another technique I want to talk about while we're on this. And folks, for you that have, in my opinion, over leveraged your properties and you're, you're barely breaking even on your real cash flow. Let me give you a second asset protection technique that you can engage in. Borrow money from Big Mike, pay it back, and don't record do not record the release and satisfaction. Borrow the money, get the money, make sure that Mike records his mortgage or deed of trust in a second position against your property, assuming he'd do it, assuming he'd be willing to do it, and then pay him back. Pay him back every penny you owe him, all the interest, everything else, and then say, hey, Mike, send me the release and satisfaction. I'll record it. And then don't. That's a pretty cool idea. So first of all, people don't borrow the money from me. I don't want to be involved. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could do it. Make sense for you. The LTV doesn't make sense for you. You know. Yeah, but you could go to friends and family, get the lien recorded, effectively repay the lien, and the lien stays in the property, and it it looks like the property is over encumbered with debt. Now, let me explain the importance of this. There has to be an actual loan. Don't go, oh, well, I'll just create some Nevada LLC or a Wyoming LLC and it'll record a mortgage and there's no, that's fraud. Make sure it's a really distinguishable third party that actually funds the deal and you actually pay it back. 
Yeah, there has to be transfer of funds. There has to be evidence of a payment. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's that's a pretty cool idea. Appreciate that. Let's keep moving into asset uh, through the asset protection sort of a thought well, process. So, well, yeah. those are the techniques to overcome the assets, uh, the the trust and and the um, LLC within the the trust creates asset protection from an external attack. Uh, are there any thoughts on? A number of folks buy properties into an LLC, and 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 the the, the financing has been available. I've done it in the past. We've bought properties right. into uh, an entity, not Fannie Freddie, but it's it's a bank financing. Yep. How many property? How many properties do you put into an LLC to maintain asset protection? Because this question has hit so many times. Obviously, if it's a if it's a New York asset, it's one LLC, one asset, right? And it's a, it's an expensive building. But if you're dealing in um, you know in Ohio, and uh, it's five properties, ten properties. Is that dollar amount that's uh, you know that you're comfortable with to to expose the, uh, the 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 asset to to the risk? What's the? And I've heard could be a hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, a million, five million. What's the number? Is that magic number? There is no magic number. It is what is your personal risk tolerance, and so. For me, it was initially a quarter of a million dollars of equity. Once I got to a quarter of a million dollars of equity, then I came to a second LLC that would own a collection of trusts. And then it came to the third and so on. And then I moved, you know, then I moved it up and then I got rid of some of the other risky things, some of the other risky behaviors that I was doing. And, you know, and I want to go back because limited liability companies are a great second or third level asset protection technique. And the debt technique that we talked about is a great fourth level asset protection technique. And I wanna spend some time talking about the first two levels of asset protection that most people just skip right over. And we've touched on one of them already and that's insurance. But regarding that number, Mike, it's personal preference. It's what is your personal preference? Do you wanna be at a quarter of a million, do you want to be at a half a million? And then you've got these half million dollar pods sitting out there where you got a half a million dollars of equity. And you know, over time, your debt's going down, your property should be appreciating. And so at some point in time, you're gonna have to go like, okay, so I'm gonna start it where I've got a quarter of a million and then it'll grow to a half a million and at a half a million, then I gotta make an adjustment. Okay, that's fine. That's a good strategy. You're thinking about it because Mike, the second thing that is really a principle that very few people talk about in asset protection is getting control. And it means not only making your money behave, but it means that you're intentional, that you're planned, that you're thought through, that you have a strategic reason for everything that you're doing. And you have a tax reason for every asset protection maneuver you make. And you have an asset protection reason for every tax maneuver you make. And this is important because I watch so many investors that reach out to me and say, Jeff, can you help me with some asset protection? And I ask these two key questions regarding, are they you know, getting clear? Do you know your numbers? A lot of them don't. And then getting control. Are you intentional? Do you, do you only do things on a planned basis or are you reactionary? And a lot of times, Mike, I find that people have got financial bleeding going on that they're really not aware of. And when you get control, you stop the bleeding and stopping the bleeding is an asset protection maneuver. <laughs> yeah, there's some great wisdom here. Uh, people don't know what they got. They, they, they don't know their numbers. They don't do things intentionally. 
And then the other thing you you really uh, picked picked up on, which I, I wanted to explore a little bit more, you have asset protection and you have also uh, tax planning. They're, they're connected, right? So you could you could do great asset protection, but put yourself in a bad position from a tax planning perspective. Right. So they it, you can't operate in a vacuum. You have to do it in conjunction, tax planning and asset asset protection planning. It's <laughs> it's some really really good examples. People will put. Uh, a massive in, income-producing property into a trust, and then wind up paying trust rates. Uh, if it's irrevocable trust, you 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 pay now a whole bunch higher taxes. Yeah, oh, it's great. It's great asset protection. Nobody can touch it, but you 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 put yourself in a pretty bad. Uh, yeah, tax or you dumped it into a charitable remainder trust, and yeah, then you've screwed your heirs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's 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 a mess because you're not thinking it through. I mean, it's. And it comes back to you've got to get clear and you've got to get control and you've got to be able to look at the whole playing field. How do people do this? So uh, I've run a number of webinars. I was running a webinar the other night, early in the week, and had people ask me, where do I find these people who could help me with the, uh, with the right uh, planning? I mean, maybe it's you. Maybe I should be recommending you yeah. because well, basically it, it's, it's that planning, the the tax, you, you got two elements. You got the tax planning, the tax strategy, and then you got the asset protection and they go together. So, um, yeah. And I'm not, a, and I'm not an accountant. I'm not a CPA. I'm not a tax lawyer. I've got a great friend that is one of the best in the real estate investing industry. The guy just enjoys battling the IRS and tax court. I mean, that's his happy spot. Okay. That's not me. I'm much more of a deal structure you know, proactive, think it through, you know, make sure that I, you know, play by the rules and cheat like mad at the same time. And so that's me, but you know, someone needs to talk about asset protection and with the general concepts of tax mitigation, I can help them. I can help them, but they've got to help themselves. And here's how they got to help themselves. They've got to know their numbers. Are they reconciling their bank accounts every month? Do their books actually tell a story? Do they actually know what they're making on a property? Do they really know what their net operating income is on a property? Do they, do they understand what all their current assets are, what all their liabilities are? I mean, I've met so many investors that, Mike, they don't know what's going out every month. And that's the truth. Unfortunately, if you unless you're running this as a business and you are, oh, you're oh, like what a, a concept. what a concept running it as a business. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you got to have enough assets and you got to have professional staff and bookkeepers. And if you, if you're not running it as a business, then uh, the longer you wait, you try to do things at the end of the year. A year passes during that year, things take place, and I've seen it again and again. But uh, unfortunately, not everyone is very well organized. Some people naturally organize, some are not. And those who are not, they, they are in that position where they, 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 they want to have an asset protection conversation, but they don't know the numbers. And I don't know how much you can help them if they have no idea what's going on. Well, if they don't know, I mean, it's, then it's an expensive process and they're going to have to get somebody to come in. And do the books first. give them access to all of their banking records in order to start recreating that. And that's not easy. And guess what, folks? The price of it is going to scare you, but the value of it is going to reward you over the years to come. 
you, you better stay in current than trying to catch up. Catching up is always more expensive and, and harder. So yeah. uh, I, I agree. But if you're behind, if you're behind and there's somebody listening to us right now, Mike, that they're two, three, five years behind. You know, I know you're out there because some of you are my friends. Some of you are actually clients of mine who come to me and said, I got a problem. I haven't done my taxes in five years. What do I do? Okay. Wow. That's, that's new to me. I, I don't know too many people who haven't done their taxes in five years, but uh, I, I, I can think of three off the top of my head. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if they were living in a bunker or they were living in another planet, but uh, if you live in this were, country, you usually file taxes annually. They were living in fast forward. Okay. They were always doing the next bigger, better, happier deal and worrying and letting the, letting that stuff fall behind them. Okay. And I'm not great at, at, at organization. I'm not great at it. Uh, but everybody that's on my team scores really high in their aptitude on organizational skills because I need that to keep me in line. Okay. So, you know, so I've seen this and folks, I'm going to tell you every one of my people that have come to me and said, Jeff, I've got this problem. Not everyone, all but one, all of them, but one have come to me. And I said, this is what it's going to take. This is how, this is what I recommend you go see. This is what I recommend you do. The ones that have done it have experienced a huge emotional release. That dread, that 800 pound gorilla that they feel on their back goes away. They now have a better business to operate and run and own because they now have some numbers that they can start relying upon and measuring their performance. And they start sleeping better at night because now they're not worried about the IRS knocking on the door. So we get them, we get them, you know, I refer them to some people who get them to that point. And then we talk about, okay, once we get there now, what can I do with what you've currently got on the table to make it better for you? And that's the fun part for me, Mike. That's the fun part. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, just a couple of other questions. We're running out of time, but imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> all good things, are, you know, come to an end. We we run out of time, but um, so let's just talk a little bit about LLC structure. So a lot of people own assets in in, in you know in multiple states. So what do you generally suggest? Do you typically have uh, LLCs formed in that state uh, that own assets? Obviously, you you explain the trust. So you have the, you prefer to own the property through a trust. The trust Ben interest is owned by the LLC. And then do you have parent LLC that owns a bunch of other LLCs? Is that and that LLC is probably in like Nevada or Delaware or one of these I, friendly states? I'll, I'll do it a little differently. I want the parent LLC to be actually domiciled in the state where the actual investor resides. Okay. okay. Then I'm gonna have the blocker intermediary LLC be domiciled in the state where the asset is located. And then I'm going to... Um, so if you live in Ohio, you would have an Ohio LLC, your holding company LLC, and then that would own a price. Let's say you own a property in, in Indiana, you would have an Indiana LLC on the beneficial interest of a trust that owns the property. And the trust would be formed in Indiana. Yes. Yeah. So the trust would be holding title to the Indiana property. My trustee may or may not be in Indiana, probably should be in Indiana um, because the property's there. And I want, a, I want a trustee that's somewhat relatively close. So what um, kind of trustees do you use? Do, do you use um, 
individuals or do you use corporate trustees, uh, professional kind of people who do this, or do you the, have uh, the average Uncle professional Joe? trustee is too expensive. The average professional trustee is way too expensive. So I usually get an individual. Um, I like finding a sibling who has a different last name. Okay. A trusted sibling who has a different last name. So a couple will come to me and they'll go, we need to do this and blah, blah, blah. And I find that this works particularly even including IRA owned trust, which is an area that I just, I love self-directed IRA owned trust. That's an area that I have a lot of fun with. I always try to find a sibling who has a different last name because that gives me enough of a smoke screen away. And then I can show them how to structure the transaction to make it look like they sold the house at a loss when it goes into the trust. And it's really not a sale. Gotcha. That's really cool. Um, let's just touch on for, for a quick minute, IRA owning a trust. So explain that a little bit. So instead of IRA owning assets, the IRA owns a trust and the trust owns assets. Is that what you're trying to do? That's exactly what I'm trying to do. So I personally do this for my own self and I do this for family members and I do this for a lot of clients. I help them form a trust. Usually it's a personal property trust or a grant or a title holding trust, depending on what kind of asset we're going to end up taking down with the money that is funded and owned by their self-directed IRA quest trust often um, on the board of directors of quest trust. So that's why I'll plug quest um, love the company just was on the phone with some of their senior people a few minutes ago. And um, then the IRA money goes into the trust and then we have that independent non-disqualified third-party trustee be the trustee of the trust that works with the account holder on making the investments. So for example, in my situation, my IRA owned trusts makes loans and owns part of a rental house. And all of it's done where my trustee and I have a conversation about it. He signs the necessary documents after we talk about it and I ask him to do it. And we've taken and really grown that trust from a really small seed to where it's, you know, that acorn is now a decent sapling, you know? I, I, I understand. So a quick question. So one, uh, trust is anonymity. So when you make making a loan, the beneficiary you're hiding, who is the real beneficiary? That's the primary Correct. Uh, on a mortgage. And then obviously title, who owns the property? Uh, what happens if people invest in um, institutional syndications and funds? Do you see that being a need or not? I see people doing that, but most of the time they're not going to use a trust to do that. Most of the time they're going to use an IRA owned LLC to try and meet the qualifications of that syndication or institutional fundraising. So IRA, why is our IRA LLC? So how, how is IRA LLC different from a, uh, from a tr IRA, tr I guess, IRA trust? Well, they're, they're very similar in many respects because they're set up the same way. The difference is that the LLC has a operating agreement and is registered with the state wherein the LLC is formed. The trust has a trust agreement, but is not registered with any state. There's no oversight. There's no annual fee. There's no government filing. There's no proof that it exists other than the trust documents itself. And so that's why these syndicators and other institutions are going to want to see the actual evidence of, hey, this is on the Secretary of State's website. It says that it's, you know, high lowball LLC, you know, with, you know, with George Wilson as the, as the managing member. Okay. Or George Wilson is the manager. Okay, great. Then we'll let, we'll let high lowball fund into our syndication. 
not knowing uh, that there's four LL, four IRAs that poured into the LLC. Oh, I see. That's actually very cool when you have uh, one LLC owned by four IRA accounts. That's where it comes in handy. Very handy. If you're, if you're funding from a few small accounts and you want to write one bigger check, uh, you're simplifying for the syndicator. That's a popular and powerful tool that I help clients do. Um, yeah. Yeah, we work a lot with Quest. We love Quest. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. And I guess they allow you to do that. They'll allow uh, an They'll IRA. Allow allow as long as you're very careful in following some of the rules that the IRS and, and Quest Trust Who, who is the manager of that LLC? Is one of the IRA investors or have to be a third-party manager? We want a third-party manager. We yeah, want yeah. a non-disqualified, disinterested third-party because we want to make sure that there's no indication of providing services to the plan or you know, direct or indirect benefit to the plan. Gotcha. That's a great idea. I love the idea. Uh, many people do IRA LLC with just single account, single entity to create asset protection, and they manage that entity. But you, you're right. You, one one move, one wrong move, you can you can blow up the whole thing. Yeah, you can't yep. pick up a hammer, and you can you can't put a nail in the house, right? So it's... <laughs> yeah. Well, you you know you can't, but you can tell them where to pound the nail, but you just can't do it yourself. You know. Yeah, I guess you, you can could administer. Do, you... you can administer the investment. You can direct the operations verbally but you can't physically do it yourself yeah but you're better better off with a third-party manager some kind of yeah, a family member non-disqualified like a sibling like you said right if you've got a trusted sibling particularly if they've got a different last name then that's perfect because if siblings are non-disqualified um and you're you meet the threshold test right off the bat and then the other thing is what my experience has been is this i want my clients to look like they have it all together because whether it's the IRS or the cheetah on the Savannah, they always go after the lowest hanging fruit and the easiest prey. And the guy that looks like he's got his act together, the gal that looks like she's got her stuff organized, they're not an easy target. That's right. They got to pick their battles. And they, they're trying to prove that they, they, they try to show a win and they, they, they got to go after an easy target. You're absolutely yep. right. So I'm going to let them go after somebody else that's not as organized. Somebody else that's not as thought out, not as prepared. And, you know, that's, I'm sorry to be cruel that way, but that's the way I look at for my clients is I don't want you to be, I want you to be in the middle of the herd. I don't want you to be on the tail end of the herd. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Jeff, thank you for your wisdom. This was great. Uh, we, we touched on a lot of great subjects. I appreciate your wisdom. What's the best way for people to reach out if they want to engage the famous Dr. Watson? <laughs> the best way for them to find me is to actually go to my blog, watsoninvested.com. They'll get a lot more free information. They'll be able to see some videos on some other stuff that I've done. And then there's a consulting form on there. If they want to hit the button and set up a consultation with me, they can do that. And it's at watsoninvested.com. Watson invested, all one word dot com and that's the easiest best way to get a hold of me because those email forms come right into my assistant and my computer and we'll schedule them right off we'll schedule them as quick as i can thank you jeff uh watsoninvested.com yep thanks again great to have you would love to have you back we'll schedule uh, another time thanks we for your wisdom and we'll uh, work on scheduling another time i know it took us a while to get this one down but we'll please drive uh defensively <laughs> you're a cowboy but you are getting a little bit more uh a little, um, better. A little better that's right yep more thank you, all right mike peace thank you
Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.